Welcome, the name of the podcast is Welcome to the Movie Never Ends. The Movie Never Ends. And we're going to talk about a movie that uh, probably no one has seen who's probably going to be listening to this because few people in America have, in fact, seen it. It is Suburbicon, the new George Clooney movie, which I'm going to state right off the bat is, from what I've read, the biggest bomb in Paramount Pictures history. That's a the big worst, statement. No, the worst grossing opener in Paramount Pictures history. That's a bit crazy. It's true. I I mean there's got to be worse pictures that Paramount has made. Yeah, 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 but but this is they opened in a bunch of theaters. So I mean for the number of theaters they opened it in, it made the le- the least amount of money. Oh, so it's like a ratio. Yeah, per theater. Okay. Made the least money in the history. I think clarifying your statistics is a good idea. In always. the history of Paramount Pictures that we're right. talking and Paramount's one of the oldest studios. Do you think they thought that this would do great cuz it's a George Clooney film? Well, Great. I don't think they thought it would do great. Just uh, good uh, the other the other thing I can say about about the you know the backroom business politics of it is that they actually turned down outright financing the film when it was just in the script mode, basically. So George Clooney went to Paramount and was like, "I got this great idea for a film. I got this great script here," and they're like, "No thanks." And so he got other fil- uh, funding for it. Most of it, I think, was foreign funding. And then they bought the distribution rights in the U.S. afterwards. Uh, so they're not really losing a lot of money on it. But so yeah. they they were only half invested anyway. But still, they didn't fully. They weren't blindsided by yeah, this failure. Yeah, in other words, yeah. okay. So let me just start by telling you. What this film I thought was going to be about, based on the trailer. I mean, I'm sure a lot of you saw the trailer. It ran before a lot of the... All the movies, apparently. Basically all the movies recently. We've seen it a lot. Um, I thought this was going to just basically be sort of a, a, you know, a fun crime movie set in a period like 50s, 60s suburbia, like very generic suburbia in which Matt Damon plays a father who... Uh, was into the mob for money and had his family threatened, his wife killed, and then his son threatened and basically spends, you know, some portion of the movie defending his young son and maybe getting revenge on these mobsters in a kind of a comedic, dark comedy sort of, I think, way. I, that That's about, in a nutshell, what I imagined this movie was going to be about. Uh I was completely wrong, apparently. Well, I, I think first half, you're not so far off. No, the setup's I, not I that think, far off. I think that, let me say, I think that in the first five minutes, this movie uh, dispelled my my assumptions about it. Well, I mean, the first half of your summary is what I'm saying. I mean, the way it played out, it, it does pretty quickly. Yes. But, it, but the first half of your summary no, is No, no, I'm just going to say that in the first five minutes of this movie, I was left thinking, Okay, this is not the film I the, thought I was going to see. What was the see. thing that happened in the first five minutes? The like, the uh, the racial, um, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. you know, it, it's... That's like the first minute the of the film. The first five minutes sets up sort of a racial tension in suburbia film. I, I did not know anything about that going into this movie. It was completely unknown to me, and it really changed, I think, everything about... Yeah. What I not in the trailers at all. It's true. Not even and pictured once in the that's trailer. actually that's the story of this film. That's a, kind of the interesting thing. This film is is not a good movie. Let's just say that off the bat. This film yeah. is not a good movie. Not this a film does film. not deserve to be a hit at all. But it is a really kind of fascinating failure. And mostly it's a fascinating failure. It reminds me of do you know about a film? We've never watched it. I had a record soundtrack of it for a while called The Thing with Two Heads. No. 
We watched it? No, no. Oh. No. It's an American International Pictures movie from like 1971 or two, right? So it's like, it's trash. It's like made for drive-ins. But what it is, is there is a, uh, a, a racist white guy. And somehow he ends up getting a black man's head sewn onto his body as well. So it's a two-headed person. You know what I mean? And wow. that that kind of is Suburbicon, <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, so so this film, uh, it's one of those things that's like somewhere inside of it, you can almost you can almost see a, a relatively uh, a movie that would have made some sort of sense as a film, as a story, right. have some sort of consistency, and and been a relatively okay film peeking through. This film has a script that was originally by the Coen brothers. I was just going to say, do you want to just like give a summary? I just gave a summary of what I thought the movie was going to be. Do you want to give a summary of what the film actually was? I don't know if I want to do that. I mean, I can give you a summary <laughs> of of what the film should have been. You know, uh, I... but uh, but 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 anyway. So this 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 film started off as a script in the eighties by the Coen brothers. Uh, good filmmakers, you know, and it was it was one of the early ones when they were sort of doing a, a, a neo film noir sort of thing, you know, like Blood Simple, like Miller's Crossing, and and you can see that movie peeking through. It's true. When as soon as this movie ended, I thought that that was kind of like a Coen Brothers movie, but it wasn't. Yeah. And then the film, the the credits rolled, and it was like, oh, you know, the, produced by the Coen Brothers, or the story was by them, or whatever. And yeah, I was yeah. like, oh, it. So, it was like a terribly made Coen So George movie. Clooney apparently uh, was considering making another, another movie after, you know, the great success of The Monuments Men. Ha ha, because it wasn't a success. Anyways, and uh, he was considering two different projects. He was considering this old Coen Brothers script that he kind of liked, which I think is a kind of cool idea because the Coen Brothers are they're great writers. I like I like neo noir kind of things. I think it's kind of cool. And then he was also considering doing a, a social, uh, you know, social relevance picture, basically about a true story of what happened in Levittown, Pennsylvania, in the early '60s when a black uh, family moved to this all white suburb, and white people were terrible to them and you know threw threw bricks through their windows and harassed them rioted. a ton, rioted basically. You know, um, and instead of making a choice, he tried to do both of them. <laughs> so this is where the, the two-headed creature comes in. Exactly. It's, this movie is exactly. both a Coen so Brothers instead of making, film and a, I mean, Coen Brothers make pretty amoral films. Pretty picture about, movies that just are yeah. in their own world. They're not trying to make necessarily a point about the larger world. I like that sort of thing. I don't think movies have to have social relevance. George Clooney clearly disagrees. <laughs> Um, and and no more power to, more power to him in some respect. I mean, I, I agree with George Clooney's politics by and large, but but uh, but but the way he shoehorned in this uh, this 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 racial subplot that was then hidden in the marketing materials, it it's one of the strangest uh, filmmaking choices that I think I've ever seen. Basically, it's it's so wildly veers in tone from one moment to the next. Uh, that it's 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 kind of like I don't know. I mean, wh- what would you compare it to? I... Okay, actually, can I tell you what I <laughs> sure? Oh, I mean, it's 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 not that this is a, you know 
a comparison in terms of quality, but uh, it reminds me of Edward Scissorhands a little bit because oh, really? you, well, I mean, so you have like this idyllic suburb, this sort of very generic suburb set in the fifties or sixties. Yeah, think, I think Suburbicon is actually set in the fifties, right? I don't know. I don't think it's clear on that. Okay. Actually. Anyhow, so but you have sort of similar time period, similar setting for. Edward Scissorhands, right? Mm-hmm. And you have a, a very homogenous demographic in this suburb, which, of course, is very typical of suburbs mm-hmm. in general. And then you have an outsider come into it. Edward Scissorhands is that outsider. In in Suburbicon, it's this black family. And uh, and everybody in this town just kind of loses their minds. Yeah, but see, but the point is that Edward Scissorhands, he's the title character. Is true. He's the, this he's the is main where, character. This of the is where. Film. Let me just point out. This is where Edward Scissorhands and Suburbicon deviate completely. But see, in that's, the, that's success the only the way to make that sort of story make sense. And this one, they're just sort of in the background. Well, no, they they lead the story, and then they then they take a back seat, and then they, no, they keep it keeps. It keeps going back what's to the it. What's the name of the father of if, the, What's the name of the father in that? I don't know. I they don't, don't give remember. him a name. He's barely a character. Anyhow, the point is, this film spends a lot of time with this this family and a lot of time emotionally with that part of the plot in a way where you're like, why are we doing this? This kind of it's it doesn't make sense. It's just confusing as hell. Um, it has nothing to do with the with the. the it's rest also ill written. I mean, it's just well, well. I mean, that could be an interesting film. It's a it's a really ugly chapter in American history. True, it's something that people don't really know True, about. But here's the thing: Suburbicon, like I think you said already, it it swings around in tone so much, <laughs> and and you can't have this light hearted uh, black comedy or dark comedy, but with with like this, you know like racial social See, justice picture happening there's just no way of keeping the tone right for both of those things yeah that's what it'd I'm be saying. hard enough in the hands of a really good director you know about, it is completely terrible in the hands of george Clooney. do you know about jerry lewis's uh the day the clown cried yes i you've told me you about know this. which is a, a screwball comedy set in auschwitz I, I believe and and that's the kind of misstep that i think Clooney made with this film you know i mean it's 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 almost on that level so let's talk about other things that make this movie not enjoyable to watch oh well, for, besides just being blindsided completely going in first let me, about let me say let me say for those of you that are curious uh coen brothers fans out there the movie that that's peeking through is really kind of an interesting movie about a a, a kid discovering that his dad is evil. Basically. Yeah, his dad is a completely. That's the journey of the movie. Guy, and and you can even tell like where that movie starts and where that movie stops. That movie starts about ten minutes in, um, with what should have really been the first scene of the film. You know, you could you could probably edit this down to about an hour, and you could almost have that movie. Now you wouldn't have the best directorial choices, but. You know the best the, the best cinematography or the best uh, takes acting wise, but that movie itself is a great idea for a film. Yeah. So and what's mo- going on in that plot? You have this kid who sees you know his this, these guys come into his house at night. They 
uh, tie them all up. They kill his mother. Apparently accidentally. His aunt also happens to be there at the time. And then what, you know, proceeds is that his aunt moves in with them and then starts having an affair with his father. And then uh, the mom wants money. He figures out that his dad hired these people to kill the mother. Yes, it was a hit. Even though it was set up in a really tricky way, it was a hit. So... Uh, it's a pretty interesting concept, actually. It should, it should really be told entirely from the kid's point of view. Right. And it'd be, it'd be a really interesting kind of Wonderful. cool movie. But instead, this movie spends a little too much time in Matt Damon's shoes. <laughs> yeah. Which, I, I get the allure there, because who doesn't want to be in Matt Damon's shoes? But Matt Damon is also, I think there was a moment um, about, oh, I don't know, I want to estimate maybe like 20, 25 minutes in, where... I discovered, like, again, like, you know, having that moment sitting in your seat, you're like, oh, wait a minute, Matt Damon is an asshole in this. Like, he's a really big jerk. And there's, you realize that there's going to be, like, you can't be on Matt Damon's side, which I can't think of too many other films Matt Damon has ever been in where you you feel like he is not the guy you want to root for. Talented Mr. Ripley. Um, Also, Matt Damon's part in Interstellar. Yes. Wait. uh... Interstellar. Who is he in Interstellar? He's the guy who gets stuck in cryospace on the ice planet. Oh, right. Yes. yes. And tricks him into getting... Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. And, yeah, yeah. But see, it's it's really... That dude has been in a lot of movies, and you just named, like, what, two? Three? Two. two. Yeah. And this is number three. So I'm just saying, like, in terms of what you're used to seeing from Matt Damon in a movie, it's sort of like... Your your trust is betrayed in a way. Yeah, it's, I mean, so it's a hard fact that, to deal with. You could argue that that's pretty mis- that's slightly miscast, but it's cast against type in a way that that could have worked. But the kid needs to be the star of the film. It's true, and he kind of he almost half is, but there's not enough. To it. Yeah, they don't you know, spend quite enough. It doesn't time commit with to him. it, and and the the directorial choices are wrong. Like you should shoot that scene. Uh, when he gets woken up and 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 the robbery and murder happens, it needs to be from his point of view. Basically, Completely you need the camera even low angle, like for, like him. They only do that at one moment. And it's when he's starting to pass out. Yeah, the exactly. The whole entire thing should have been. Yeah, and it would it would it would have would have been a great it opening in a film. Really it could have well. worked really well. All right, let's let's touch on something else that really doesn't work in this movie. I think again, it hit me probably. I think in the first five minutes that the score of this movie was entirely wrong. This is one of the worst scores I've ever heard I, in the film. It was so in, it seems so inappropriate for the tone of the movie. And again, no. maybe this is partly because the tone of the movie it it starts out in this sort of jaunty, yeah. you know, oh well, here's this generic. Can we just talk about? And then it gets into this really serious subject matter of like the, racial integration. The the first just the it's, opening bit in it, which is sort of like an ex an explainer, a, a little like a little like. Like it's a video game or something, a little, oh, yeah. a little world setup, a little world building exercise <laughs> over some bad CGI. <laughs> yeah. It is awful. It is. It terrible. is just awful. It is the most on the nose thing. I mean, it's meant to be generic in a way, but yeah, it's but, also so but amateur. It gets sounding. it gets details wrong. It does. Like it says, it says you know people in Suburbicon come from all over, all different cities like New York, Ohio, <laughs> Mississippi, or something yeah. like that. Yeah, it says. Cities and then they name they name states. states. Yeah, this is this anyhow. Is, anyways, that was the first the first error. Yeah, that was like thirty seconds in, and it's thirty seconds in. Mm-hmm. Seconds in. Um, but anyways, Alexander Desplat, Des Desplay, Desplay. He's Hi, the the, the the composer here, and this guy, he's usually not that bad. He's done other good work. Well, actually. he's done he's done some of the Harry Potters. Mm. 
He's done. Oh, wow, uh, he did some of the Harry Potters. <laughs> he did some of the Harry Potters. I. It never struck me that any of those scores were <laughs> ill-conceived or misplaced. He did the Grand Budapest Hotel for Wes Anderson oh, very well. Oh my goodness, that was a wonderful score. Actually. Exactly. So he did Moonrise here's Kingdom. What I kind of wonder because. I was listening to the score, and and like I said, the tone seemed wrong. Yeah. But also the placement of the music was terrible. Was it seemed like the whole time it seemed like, at random, like somebody had started it about five seconds too late, and it just never synced up with what yeah. was going on. Well, so so the the score itself is this big kitschy fifties style, a lot of strings. big orchestra <laughs> thing. Yeah. And let me I mean, tell very you, traditional instrumentation. It, it plays over. All of the, it's wallpaper. It's all over everything. But it's a little too and disjointed to be. It's terrible. Noticeable like wallpaper. Yeah, no, but but it it's, doesn't fade into the background ever. It's real. I mean, it had my attention pretty much you know, the whole time. It fills the, fil- the, the 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 film like like cinnamon scented candles in in bad Gertrude Hawk stores. It's it's yeah. really bad. It's literally the worst, the worst score I've heard like in a professional you, film. When you're sitting there talking to someone and they have their shirt buttoned with just like one button off, and and you can't help <laughs> yeah. but notice it the yeah. whole time. It just you know draws your attention. Of all the terrible choices made in this film, and there are a number, I think it is it is the worst. I think I think actually the score is the most the single most jarring element. I think there was only one moment I, where the score actually sort of kind of synced up with with what was going what, on. What moment and was that? I think it was a moment where Matt Damon was in his office, and this is after his wife dies. Before you know that he's the one that had her killed. And uh, he's, you perceive him as being sort of withdrawn and, and sad. Mm-hmm. And he's sort of, you know, surrounded by all these people who are like, oh, I'm so sorry. And, and there's this, there's a, a moment there where even the, just the kind of the color of the light in his office is a little bit bluish. And he looks sad and he kind of is in this big empty office. And the score is actually sort of, um, I think it's like a, a sad strings with maybe an Maybe an oboe or clarinet. No, <laughs> no, no, not an oboe. Actually, it'd be like either a bassoon or a clarinet. Okay. Anyhow, but it's it's a nice like kind of melancholy sound, and that's the that's only, the only moment when this, the music didn't distract. Yeah, I didn't me. even notice that. Yeah. Um. So, anyways, Matt Damon. I mean, we've talked about him a little bit. I, I'm gonna say he's not good in this. He's just flat out not good in this. <sighs> no. And 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 it, he's not good in a way that makes me go back in my mind and try to recall good Matt Damon performances. And I got to say, of a lot of the big stars today, I think Matt Damon is the most consistently not good. He doesn't really do anything in films. Think about mm. this. What's his Jason Bourne character do? I don't like those movies anyways. So but he doesn't do anything. Me. What's his character? Well, what, he runs around What is he like? What is Jason Bourne like to do? What are, what are character traits of Jason Bourne other than hyper-competence? That's it. That's all that guy's got. Matt Damon, he doesn't do things in movies for the most part. He kind of looks he looks a little concerned sometimes. Sometimes he looks like he's got a poop. <laughs> and and sometimes he gives a little bit of a smile. And that's that's that guy's range. That guy he mm-hmm. I, I it's really funny to me that he's such a big star because his 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 lack of charisma, his lack of doing much of anything yeah. is uh is pretty impressive, yeah. I think. Let's uh oh, can I actually say on a positive note something about this film? Sure, sure. Oscar Isaacs is pretty great in it. Yes. He's in it for like the least amount of time. This is another one of those things. But that guy is actually a very good actor. Yeah. 
And a more recent actor, more recent than Matt Damon, I mm-hmm. think. His career has been taking off recently. And uh, he gives a pretty, very, actually, I would say a very committed performance in this. He's he the walks only away guy. He's the only guy that seems to know he's in a what Coen should Brothers be a movie. Coen Brothers film. <laughs> and, uh, and he does his part perfectly. He plays an insurance investigator. He shows up towards the end of the film, right. basically. Right. And it's sort of when the film starts to take off sprout some wings you, you, you see him enter and you're like oh thank god yeah. and it's funny because <laughs> he's, he's great i think he's i think he's great in it it's funny because it's like it's like he's great in this movie that no one's gonna watch he does I this know, great performance I no know. one's gonna see yeah. but oscar isaacs is is really uh the highlight of the film he um is. as he sometimes is in other films he, he's one he's of my favorite always young, great young actors. but i mean he he has he he's has usually probably my favorite good, performance to watch in this one. yeah um, so let's, let's talk about something else that didn't work in this film at all, right? There's, uh, the two Julianne Moores. Okay, yes. I, I didn't understand so we, from we the have... preview also that there were two Julianne Moores <laughs> in this. Um, it's one of those things where... This is another thing where, where, it where make any sense. Clooney is vague in his direction entirely. He seems like he doesn't want to commit to, to any one thing, um, to the detriment <laughs> of the film over and over again. I mean, once again, so, so... In the movie, Matt Damon is being shaken down by by these gangsters who he had kill his wife, right? What do they actually want from him? Do you know? Money. What money? How oh, much money? I thought it was like $7,000. Oh, really? Yeah. I don't think they ever say. I swear to God. I'm pretty sure it's like $7,000. There's, there's never any... There's there's a vagueness to all this. So Julianne Moore plays uh, both, both, both Matt Damon's wife and his wife's sister. Now, why is Julianne Moore... Both of these characters, but with different hair color. Are they twins? I, assumed, I swear. I assume they were twins. There's when I a first conversation. There is a conversation that happens about halfway yes. through between Julianne Moore and the the young boy, Matt Damon's son, um, where she's like Julianne Moore, the aunt. Yeah. Yes. Where she's talking <laughs> about her family's history, and she's like, "Your grandpa first had your sister, and then your he pay, he prayed to Saint Patrick, and and then your your uncle followed, and then me." So I swear they are not, in yeah. fact, twin, twin yeah. siblings, though they look the same. I'm pretty sure that you're right about it that. It makes no sense. It's almost Why like... Why would you do that? It's almost like George Clooney didn't read the script. Yes. And or so, else he read it and didn't comprehend so there's, it. So there's a, a lightly done, like, afterthought subplot a little bit where she 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 sort of dyes her hair to look like yeah. her sister um, halfway through, it's kind of a vertigo-ish thing, yeah. and so it's like can Clooney. I, can I, oh, you can go. I was, I was say, so, so it's like Clooney knows that in Vertigo, Kim Novak played <laughs> both characters, but he didn't re- he didn't watch the end of the film and realize it's because she was pretending to it's be a like different person. It's like you never watched it all the way through. Exactly, one that's what I think happened. Okay, that's here's, my theory. Here's something that I thought happened in the film, but didn't actually like. I had to rethink it, but I told you I was really confused at some point because. After the aha moment where you realize that, like, Matt Damon has had his wife offed, like, yeah. he paid to have a hit on his wife. And that's kind of a great aha moment. Mm-hmm. When, when that dawns on you, you're like, oh, my God, this guy is such a jerk. Um, and then I thought there was another aha moment coming when Oscar Isaacs is questioning Julianne Moore, the aunt. Yeah. I thought that when we had all along been believing that she was the aunt, that she was actually still Matt Damon's original wife, and they had killed off her twin sister and made it look like... Yeah, I thought there was this huge extra super twisty plot, 
That wasn't the case. But no. I had thought, well, why else would they be twins? You know, like you don't put twins in a movie unless you want some kind <laughs> of, um, you know, mistaken identity to happen. Um, yeah. Anyhow, that wasn't the case. I, I have no idea why Julianne Moore played those two sisters. No. Also, okay, let me point out. Again, this makes no sense to me. There's a lot of New York and New Jersey accents in this film, which, you know, they sort of have set up at the very beginning of this film. Oh, Suburbicon is peopled with, you know, inhabitants from all over the U.S. Um, And so, of course, you expect them to have various accents. But it's like Julianne Moore, both of the Julianne Moores just have regular old Julianne Moore accent, right? But the guy playing her brother has this really heavy, like, New York, New Jersey accent. Why? Who knows? I mean, they they <laughs> apparently they all grew up in the same place together. I can't imagine why he would have this vastly very different accent. He's a working man. He, I, he picked up but, the But doesn't New that Jersey seem accent. totally incongruous, though? Also, does he live in Suburbicon? Do we know this at we all? Have, no. He we have lives, no idea. He lives in, like, next door in, like... In New Jersey, wherever that is. Small Townieville or something. I don't know. <laughs> um, also, there's this interesting thing with New York and New Jersey accents where I feel like, besides the, uh, the you know, the brother of the Julianne Moores, besides him, every other character with a New Jersey or New York accent is sort of, like, not a great character. Like, they all yeah. seem to be kind of, like... You know, the the people who are like meddlers, gangsters, you know, just Mm -hmm. kind of untrustworthy people. I thought that was an interesting choice. I'm just going to. Yeah, no, no. You know, like I said, it's it's sort of fascinating in in its failure. Mm -hmm. Um, Definitely a bad movie, but you can see the Coen brothers film noir (laughs) peeking out. But that almost makes it worse because I, I also, after the credits rolled and we were, you know, we were sort of like leaving the theater, I thought, well... My only hope for this is that maybe someday somebody, somebody will remake, remake this it. film and make it good because it, you know what it, it reminds it me of? could be really fun. It reminds me of more than anything else of when Jars of Clay covered uh uh what was it? Come as you are by Nirvana. Oh. And so I'm imagine if sh- if the only version of Come as you are you ever heard was Jars of Clay's version where they changed <laughs> you know uh uh everyone is gay to Jesus is the way. You'd still be like, it's kind of a catchy tune. There's something about it, but I just but, can't but place just, my finger on it. You just can't place it. your finger on yeah. it. That's what Suburbicon is for the Coen brothers. Um, let uh, me just say a couple other things that they did well. The um, the period uh, choices, like uh, costumes. Costumes and all that. Set decoration, you know, hair and makeup. That that was all pretty was right fine. on. I thought that that all worked well. And I have, you know, you know me. If, yeah, if yeah. I see something costume-wise that sticks out period-wise, it... I can't let that go either. And this one, I had nothing to complain about. There were some lovely no, costumes no, no. to a, look at. It was a professional Hollywood production of a travesty of right. a weird film. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about uh, the other movie we saw this week, which was at the lovely Campus Theater in Lewisburg, Pennsylvania. My pick for best theater in the whole state, I think. Yeah, also, I, it might be the best theater in the world. Best popcorn. Anyways, they were showing uh, uh, for free... Which is the best price in the whole world. Dario Argento's Phenomena, a film from 1985 starring Jennifer Connelly and Donald Pleasance. Mm-hmm. Um, Jennifer Connelly, when she is like. She's pretty she's darn young. super young. She, this is pre Labyrinth, isn't is it? it? No, I think. I, uh, is it let's see. Let's see. You look that let's, up. Let's look that up. I'm going to mention. Um, yeah, she is super duper young. She's got the cute little cheeks and. 
Her long, flowing, shiny hair. Where is this? She... Mm, yep, pre-labyrinth. Whoa. Pre-labyrinth, pre-labyrinth. Jennifer Connelly. So, she's a youngin'. She's real young. She plays the daughter of some sort of film star who's going to some sort of weird Richard Wagner boarding school. Yeah. (laughs) Why? Why? Who knows? Why the Wagner boarding school? Who knows? But she has a special bond with insects. With insects, there's a there's a whole motif about uh, you know insects in this film. That's 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 pretty interesting. Um, Donald Pleasance plays a a insectologist, entomologist, entomologist? entomologist. No, entomologist. Entomologist. Yeah, Yeah, entomologist studies uh, origins of language, language I think. yeah and uh and then there's a bunch of murders happening in this town the only film it's i think it's in switzerland right where this is yes yeah in. it's the transylvania the transylvania Boy, of switzerland yeah. they, <laughs> they say. call it the transylvania of switzerland Another there's sentence. somebody that's it's very go- windy somebody's going around and they're murdering young ladies yeah it, left as, and right as happens in an just, Dario Argento that's film. what you can expect <laughs> And yeah, there's like this wind all the time that they say makes people go crazy. Um, it's badly overdubbed, like every Italian film. Only film I've ever seen with the true, honest to goodness monkey butler. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. What is Donald Pleasance has a monkey butler. Yeah. Takes a monkey nurse, I think, is what he calls her. Her ex- actually, but but really, a monkey butler <laughs> is is I think the preferred nomenclature. <laughs> uh, not a great film. Right, not a great film. No, but a really unusual horror film. Pretty, yeah, pretty, pretty darn unusual. I mean, we've watched all the horror films. This one was very. I've I've never seen some of the things I've seen. Well, first of all, the insect thing was actually pretty. Uh, it was it was pretty thoughtful in a way. I mean, there were, there was definitely like somebody who has thought a lot about what if you could commune with insects. <laughs> that just. I mean, that's not a thing that films often get no, made about, and no. it wasn't like. It's an. In- it's it wasn't a, like insects were involved in a horror film in the way they usually are, with like giant ants attacking a town or something. Yeah, that, yeah. That's not what's happening here. It's totally not your typical. Portions of the film are really kind of a fly buddy comedy. I would say <laughs> it's like a mismatched yes. cop thing, uh, similar in, in its own way to *Spirit of St. Louis*, the Billy Wilder film with James Stewart, where he spends. It's, it's oh the, my gosh! He spends he, most of the film talking to a fly. Yes. as he makes his cross, you know, uh, mm-hmm. ocean flight. Mm-hmm. Um, not not the best Billy Wilder, <laughs> but but this. Who else are you going to talk to when you're crossing <laughs> the Atlantic? And you need to stay awake, or exactly. else you're going to die. Exactly. So this this film, uh, it, it it has some of the same flaws that I usually find in, in Italian horror movies. Um, Italian the horror movies. I've already the, the overdub, the sound <laughs> design is always kind of insane. This has like heavy metal that just happens <laughs> out has, of nowhere. This is also, I will say, very uh, you know appropriate to our conversation about Suburbicon. This also has a score, at, you know, or or shall I call it a soundtrack? Oh, it's got some of that great Goblin score. Goblin. There's Goblin also a the lot score, of heavy but metal. Then there's also like some Iron Maiden but and Motorhead. All of it is is just kind of sprinkled on this film in ways that you think, well, why is this here now? You're watching something and you feel like maybe in the theater somebody switched on a jam box? Because <laughs> it's mixed about that badly, too. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, it, I mean, I can't say I hate it. It's, I should, I, it's not good, yeah. I will say. Like, in terms of the technical aspects of what's going on there, it's not good. But it's... Weird, and when you're already watching an Argento film, I guess weird is well, just par for the course. He's, he's one of these guys that like does one thing really pretty well to the detriment of everything else that you that that 
you know, you think of as standard competence in films. Argento has really interesting visual ideas, especially when it comes to film and color, um, you know, having these sort of lush, lush pr- productions, kind of. I think if, if you take almost any still of a movie like this or a movie like, like his, his, his big one, Suspiria, it looks like really cool. You could make a poster of it, you know. Mm. It'd be a great album cover. Those sort of things, but if you watch it as a film, it just doesn't. It doesn't even really rise, rise to the level of competency you expect from, you know, low budget horror movies for the <laughs> most part. There's not. There's not the care when it comes to the script or or just you know, just general uh, uh, physical reality in a lot of it. I mean, and Argento is 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 like a lot of once again Italian horror movie makers, obsessed with. Eye and face violence. I know. Uh, is one of these things the that, that they put in these movies. They they always go for the eyes or the faces, and they always set this up in the weirdest ways possible. Where like <laughs> it's like a Rube you've got like machine. thirty seconds of a dude like turning in just the right way that he can get <laughs> you know the razor to the eyeball exactly. Right. right. Or he, he's is... got to open his mouth up just right so the scissors can go in yeah, there. Nothing is very fluid. It's all very stilted because they really they really were <laughs> yeah. committed to having the. Yeah. Yeah, they the were face. like, oh, what is our end goal? Okay, let's work backwards from there. Yeah. But they don't do it well. Yeah. It's like their imagination for getting from point Z to point A is not not um, not well-practiced. No. <laughs> no. You know, and I mean, Jennifer Connelly, I've always been a, a, a pretty big fan of hers, so it's nice to see her in, in this young role. Um and of course, Donald Pleasance is one of my favorite. Donald movie Pleasance present. actually does a pretty good job in this. I, I've seen him sometimes act so atrociously. Yeah, so, I kind of love so when he hands it up. Though. That, uh, he's but, he's but, relatively restrained for this he role. He is. He is. Yeah. But because uh, it was he's... all first takes, and he's more subdued in his first takes. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Yeah, he didn't. He didn't. You know, he didn't. Let Maybe it. it's because he was acting with a monkey butler most of the time, and he had to kind of keep it subdued, or else Maybe. the monkey butler would go crazy. So, that, did you know that monkey butler apparently bit off part of Jennifer Connelly's finger? No, what? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Dang. So, in that one scene where the monkey's like sitting next to Donald Pleasance, the monkey kept turning. So Argento told her to like put her hand on it to like keep it from turning. And it it didn't uh, it didn't like that and it bit her finger off and they had to sew it back on. This is it was a chimp, right? Yeah, it was a chimp. Chimps are dangerous. Chimps are dangerous, people. Beware. So you know, don't don't keep a chimp at home. Maybe this is why we've never seen another monkey, monkey butler, butler in a movie. film. This, <laughs> I'm guessing this <laughs> might actually be a learning a, like a learning experience for everybody in yeah. Hollywood. But yeah, no, I mean, you know, fun <laughs> movie to see for free. Uh, fun movie to see around Halloween. Just super weird, dude. Super weird, like most most Italian yeah. Argento horror. Oh movies. man, not, and the, the monkey comes in at the end. It's, it's pretty great. I'm not even going to tell you what happens because yeah. you, you got to see it. It's just like yeah. the best ending ever with a monkey, and you've uh, never you've never seen anything. I like give this I give phenomena a qualified endorsement. I give Suburbicon a qualified. <laughs> it's terrible, basically, because <laughs> I mean, there's some some yeah. interesting things about yeah. it. Yeah, if you were like. If you were like such a Coen Brothers fan that you thought I've seen all of if their you've movies, seen... I've multiple times. I need to go <laughs> see something else. Just be aware that there's going to be this weird subplot of racial integration that well, you're not maybe going to feel like okay. ever fits into this film. Is it better or worse than the worst of the Coen Brothers? I'm talking Lady Killers. Oh and God, Intolerable I'd cruelty. rather see this than the Lady Killers. Yeah, any day. Yeah, I think it's better than the Lady Killers too. Way better. You know, God. Maybe on par I, with I Intolerable Cruelty. I constantly forget that Lady Killers exists. <laughs> it's really bad. I try to forget that one. 
<laughs> all right. Well, I think that's uh, that's all we got for this week. And uh, thanks for listening, everyone. We'll talk about it on the movie next week. Take a break and direct. So when two bros and he asked for a script, maybe something from life from the headline script. Cohen looked at Cohen and then they looked back. We got nothing like that here in a script sack. But we do have a thing way back on the shelf. I'm not a film noir, I say so myself. Suburban call, suburban call, it's the biggest bomb. I'll tell you all about it in the very next verse of a song. Said this is swell. Twist on the suburbs, do it so well. He thought to himself, he needs some elements. Where's the lesson, the moral, the social relevance? Suburban call, suburban call, it's the biggest bomb. And I'll tell you about it in the very next personal song. Well, George, he knew best, he was on a list. So when at the script, like a mad scientist, the script needs another one in a twine. And so Frankenstein's suburban call, suburban call, it's the biggest bomb. And I'll tell you more about it in the very next verse of my song. Well, the lights were on, the action was called, and opened wide at Multiplex Mall. Nothing before ever died like it died. Might as well bend the day the clown cried. Suburban 